G'day, my name is Jeff, and it's my privilege to look with you now at God's Word. We're going to be looking together at Genesis chapters 11 and 12. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open so you can read along with me? I'm going to read large chunks out of these two chapters, think about what they mean and how they apply to our lives. You'll also find an outline that'll be on the service program that hopefully you've got with you. Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet together through this Zoom video conferencing platform. Thank you that we can still see each other's faces and talk to each other. And thank you that we can look together at your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to understand your word now as we reflect on it. We pray that you help us to build our lives on your wonderful promises fulfilled for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, a lot of what I do in my life, I do because of promises promises that people have made to me. Uh, plenty of examples, but let me give you just three. Three examples, that uh, promises that start with the letter M. Uh, three M promises that, in fact, dictate a lot of what I do in my life. Uh, the first M promise is ministry. Pretty much every day, I get up and I head off to 37 Anderson Street, Chatswood. And there, I spend my days and many of my nights as well. There I invest my thinking and my creativity and my energy and my stress. Why do I do such a thing? Because many years ago, people made promises to me. This congregation promised, and I quote, we cordially receive you as our minister and promise to provide you with suitable maintenance and to give you all due respect, encouragement and obedience in the Lord. That's what this congregation promised to me. And day after day, I build my life on this promise. I serve as minister. Well, here's a second M promise. Mortgage. About 13 years ago, a bank made me a promise. They promised to give me a whole heap of money. I had to basically sign my life away in return, but they promised to give me money. They did. I bought a little home unit. And I've been basically the bank's slave ever since, paying them their money back plus a pound of flesh. Well, here's a third M promise. Marriage. More than 27 years ago, an innocent young woman made promises to me, little realising what she was getting herself into. Carmelina promised to be my wife, for better or for worse, until one of us dies. That was her solemn promise. And on the basis of that promise, I've made all kinds of changes to my life. I don't pursue any other romantic or sexual relationships. I live with her. I share all my money with her, all my stuff with her. I partner with her in making a life and raising children. I even let her mother live with me. You put these three M promises together, that's pretty much my life right there. That's, that's the vast majority of what I do, the vast majority of how I spend my days, make my decisions, spend my time and money and energy. It's all built on promises. You know, I reckon if you reflect on your life, you'll see something similar. Your work, your family, your finances, the decisions you make, it's all built on promises. Now, maybe they're stated, contract, uh, maybe they're stated promises like, like contracts or promises that people have made to you. Or maybe it's kind of unspoken promises like the 
the promise that migrants believe that if they have education and success, then their lives will be worth living. Or, or the promise that Australians believe that if they can be comfortable and happy, then life is worth it. People build their lives on promises. Well, today we begin one of three main stories that dominate this book of Genesis. There are three big stories in the book of Genesis. You've got the story of Abram, the story of Jacob, and the story of Joseph. And today, as Abram, Jacob, Joseph. Today we begin uh, the story of Abram. And it's a story that's going to take us all the way through to chapter 25. Uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, firstly, we... we, we, we move ourselves in history from the time of Shem and the flood all the way through until it's the time of Abram. This is a period of 365 years, uh, nine generations from the time of the flood to the story of Abram. It's done by way of a genealogy. It's not too much to notice about this genealogy, pretty much the same formula for each person. They, they live, they have a son, they live some more and have more children. Uh, only thing that stands out, I think, is the, the way that the lifespans get shorter from Shem, who lives 600 years, all the way through to Nahor, who lives 148 years. So 600 years down to 148 years. So we're well on our way to uh, what God said back in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, where God said that he will, he will limit human life to 120 years. Let's read uh, the beginning and the end of the genealogy just to get the feel for it. We'll start off in chapter 11 and verse 10. Have a look with me. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 10. This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years, so 600 in total, and had other sons and daughters. And now jump down to the end, to verse 24. Verse 24. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah, and after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years, so a total of 148, and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram. So we arrive at our story of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay, so we've moved in time from the flood to Abram. And now we begin the story of Abram. Uh, it's called... Uh, the author calls it the account of Terah's family line. Terah, as we've just seen, is Abram's dad. Last part of chapter 11, we get introduced to all the main characters. There's Abram, his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, their family, parents, aunties, uncles. And, and we also learn about a terrible tragedy. Do, do you remember God's blessing to Adam and Eve? It was a blessing that he renewed to Noah as well. We saw it last week. He, God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was God's blessing. But tragically, Abram and Sarai don't enjoy that Old Testament blessing. They can't have children. Verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, 
Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Uh, Abram's dad, Terah, he migrates with his family from uh, the country called Ur, and uh, he's taking them on the way through to a country called Canaan, but they don't quite get there. Uh, they settle down in a place called Haran. And uh, there, many years later, Terah dies. Verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. So Terah got his family as far as Haran. And now what happens in chapter 12 is we jump back in time a bit, back uh, to when Terah was still alive, and we pick up the story of Terah's son, Abram. God speaks to Abram, and he calls him to, to leave his mum and dad and his aunties and uncles behind and to finish the migration to Canaan. And God makes some amazing promises to Abram. Uh, to understand these promises, we need to remember what we've covered so far in the book of Genesis. Uh, back at creation, Adam and Eve, they were God's people. They were living in God's place, the Garden of Eden, and they were living under the blessing of God. Do you remember? In delightful Sabbath fellowship with God. That's why they were made. Sadly, though, things didn't say, stay very good like that. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden and into this cursed world. And then from there things have just gotten worse and worse, haven't they? I mean, God nearly destroys the whole of humanity at the flood. Uh, God scatters humanity and confuses their languages at Babel. It, it seems like by the time we get to chapter, chapter 12, it seems like God's blessing is, it's a thing of the past. It's long gone not just from Abram and Sarai in their tragic childlessness, but, but from everyone, from everyone. It, it seems like humans are now doomed to live forever under the anger and curse of God. But now here, in these promises, we see God's original creation purposes reestablished. We see God's plan to bless humanity renewed first promise first god promises that abram will have a big family they'll become a, a nation he'll be fruitful and multiply and they'll become a nation who will be god's people genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 chapter 12 verse 1 the lord had said to abram go from your country your people and your father's household to the land i will show you I will make you into a great nation. God also promises to make Abram's name great. It's a reference to Babel. Do you remember uh, last week in Babel, the people, they built the tower because they wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, now God promises to Abram, I'll make your name great. And he also promises to bless him, to bless Abram and to bless Abram's family. And through Abram, God says, he's going to bless the whole world. Verse 2 again. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. Abram takes God at his word. He believes God's promises. And then he makes this massive life change. He leaves, he leaves behind his home. He, he leaves behind his family. He leaves behind everything he's known. He packs up his wife and his nephew and his household and he heads off to this promised land. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram then has a bit of a cook's tour. He travels through the promised land, a bit of a guided tour from north through to the south. Along the way, he, he worships God, establishes altars, and, and God promises to give the land to Abram and his family. Verse 6. Abram traveled throughout, through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. I remember many years ago back in Bible college, I studied Old Testament. My lecturer was a man by the name of John Woodhouse. And John Woodhouse reckoned that... This little section here in Genesis chapter 12 is the most important passage in the whole Old Testament. Big call, big call. But in the light of what we've seen so far in Genesis, there's something to what he's saying, isn't there? I mean, here is God's plan. Here is God's blueprint to redeem humanity, to, to once again bless the world so, so that they can be, once again, God's people in God's place under his blessing, despite sin, despite the curse, the hopes of humanity are riding on the fate of this man and his family. If you think about the story, if you, if you look at this story in isolation, it's, it's, it's a very small story. It's just a story of one little family going on a journey a long time ago. But, but if you look at the promises that God makes, and if you put it into the context of Genesis so far, you can see this, this is a story of massive significance. This is... This is the hope of humanity to return to Eden and to the blessing of God. All right. Abram has done okay so far. He's believed God's promise. He's acted on God's promise. But unfortunately, in the next section, we run into a terrible problem. Uh, Abram has inherited good promises from Adam, but uh, sadly, Abram has also inherited Adam's sin. And that becomes all too clear in this next story. There's a famine in the land of Canaan. And so Abram ignores God's promise about living in the land. He ignores God's promise and he heads off to Egypt. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he comes into Egypt, Abram is worried about something. His wife, Sarai, is very beautiful. He's, he's worried the Egyptians will kill him to get her. And so he pretends to be her brother. 
That way he can live with her and he can try to fend off any suitors. Verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. But Abram's plan runs into a problem. Pharaoh, the, the boss of Egypt, he takes a fancy to Sarai. Abram can't say no to Pharaoh, and so Abram again ignores God's promise. He ignores God's promise to give him a big family, to make him a great nation. He ignores God's promise, and he marries Sarai off to Pharaoh. Verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very beautiful, was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Now, I should say, interestingly, Sarai is she's something like 65 years old at this point in the story. It doesn't seem old to me anymore, but lots of people seem to find it a bit strange, and there are all sorts of suggestions that have been put forward as to what made Sarai so attractive at this somewhat advanced age. Uh, John Calvin, for example, said this, and I quote, Women who don't have children preserve their beauty longer than mothers. I certainly would never dare to repeat such a scandalous and obviously incorrect comment, and Calvin himself married a widow who had had already two children. I'd say commentator Gordon Wenham's comment is more accurate. Let me quote again. Ideas of feminine beauty in traditional societies differ from ours. Well-endowed matronly figures, not slim youthful ones, tend to represent their ideal of womanhood. By such criteria, Sarai might well count as very beautiful, even at her age. Anyway, it goes, all goes very, very badly. It goes terribly pear-shaped for Pharaoh. God punishes him for having Abram's wife. That makes Pharaoh very angry. And like God threw Adam out of Eden, Pharaoh throws Abram out of Egypt. Verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. All right, can you see what's here then in these chapters, this section of Genesis? We start off by following that genealogy, which takes us from the flood through to the time of Abram. And then we start Abram's story. It's going to take us all the way through to chapter 25. So his family, they move from the country of Ur to the country of Haran. And then God calls him, calls Abram, to leave his family behind and to, to finish the journey, to, to, to make the journey to Canaan. And God makes these extraordinary promises to Abram uh, to make him a great nation, to give him the land, to bless him, and through him to bless the world. Abram is a man of faith. He believes God's promises and he builds his life on these promises. He leaves behind his home, leaves behind his aunties and uncles and parents, uh, all in obedience to God. 
Abram is certainly not without his flaws, as we've seen. Despite God's promises, he, he abandons the land. Despite God's promise, he abandons his wife and he ends up in and out of Egypt. All right. Okay. That's the story. What do we do with it? Let, let's think for a while about applying this story to ourselves as Christians. Now, as we move into the New Testament, we see God fulfill his promises to Abram in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to think a lot about this in the coming weeks, but the big idea is this. Through Jesus, it's through Jesus that we become God's people in his special place under his blessing. Ultimately, this will be fulfilled in the new heaven and new earth. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, Galatians 1.29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here is another reason why people like John Woodhouse, my Old Testament lecturer, they reckon Genesis 12 is so important because what Genesis, and what Genesis 12 does and what these promises do, they... They actually give us the background to, to understand the shape of what it is that Jesus achieves for us. Uh, through Jesus, it's, it's these promises to Abram that are ours. These promises form the, the blueprint. They reveal to us what Jesus is on about. Uh, we are, and we look forward to being, God's people in his special place under his eternal blessing. That's what Jesus does for us. It's all built on these promises to Abram. But friends, we need to realise what this means for us in practice. If these promises are true, then who you are, your relationship with God, and where you will spend eternity depend on them. You are either God's person through these promises fulfilled in Jesus or you are not God's person. You either live under the blessing of God with God happy with you, favouring you, favoring you, accepting you through these promises fulfilled in Jesus or you don't. You live under the curse and anger of God. You will either live in God's special place, the ultimate promised land of the new heaven and new earth forever, through these promises fulfilled in Jesus, or you won't. You won't be with God in his place forever. Friends, it all comes down to these promises. So how do we apply this passage to ourselves? The point is very simple. The point is very simple. These are promises to build your life on. Abram, he left his home, he left his family, he left everything he knew because of God's promises. And all the more for us as Christians, knowing how God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus, all the more for us, these are promises that we should build our lives on. We should believe them and we should act on them. We should live in the light of God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. And so, friend, let me ask you, is that what you're doing? 
Can you point to lots of things in your life and say, I did that, I am doing that because I am building my life on Jesus and his promises? Let me give you some examples. Can you point to things in your family life? Can you say something like, perhaps something like this? I said no to that non-Christian who wanted to go out with me. Why? Because I'm not building my life on the promise that romance and marriage is going to fix everything. I'm building my life on Jesus and his promises. I stuck it out through that tough time in my marriage. I worked hard and stayed faithful. Why? Because I'm not building my life on the false promise that that happiness is the goal. I'm building my life on Jesus and his promises. I persisted reading the Bible and praying with my children. I encouraged them to be at church. I I got them involved in serving, even when it clashed with sport, even, even when the HSC happened. Because I'm not building my life on the false promises that education and success make life worth living. I'm building my life on Jesus and his promises. Or could you say something similar about your work life? Maybe something like this. I refuse to do that dishonest thing the boss asked me to do. Why? Because I'm not building my life on the false promise that security is found in work. I'm building my life on Jesus and his promises. I chose this job rather than that one, even though it's less money, even though it's less prestige. Why? Because I'm not building my life on the false promise that career and success give me my value. No, no. I'm building my life on Jesus and his promises. Could you say something like that about how you spend your time? about how you spend your money, your energy? Can you point to all sorts of things in your life, all sorts of decisions, big ones, small ones? Can you keep on saying as you look at your life, I did that, I am doing that because I am building my life on Jesus and his promises? Can you do that? If you can, then friend, you are making the right choices. You are building on a firm foundation. Of course, like Abram, we're going to have our doubts. Of course, like Abram, we're going to, we're going to fall. But through it all, God's promises will stand firm. And friends, you'd be very wise to build your life on them. All right, friends, um, our lives are built on promises marriages, mortgages, ministries, and lots of other promises that don't start with them. But here are trustworthy promises from God, given to Abram, fulfilled in Jesus, promises to build your life on. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your great plan revealed in these promises to Abram. Thank you that you love us and that you express your love by making us your people who will live with you in your place under your blessing forever. 
Thank you for promising this to Abram. Thank you for fulfilling it in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for ways that we are your people living for you and under your blessing now. And thank you especially for the wonderful fulfillment that will be given to us in the new heaven and new earth when we are ultimately your people, transformed, all sin gone, living in the new heaven and new earth under your perfect blessing forever. Heavenly Father, bring on the day and help us until then to build our lives on Jesus and his promises. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.